So when you think about principles of being an athlete or a basketball player, it's the same thing as a CEO. Successful people fail a lot. They fail a whole lot more than they succeed, but they extract the lessons from the failure and they use that. Right. So like if you're saying, okay, I'm gonna climb Mount Everest, you're at the bottom of the mountain, you look up and you're going, I'm not gonna climb Mount Everest, <laughs> right? But if you break it down into sections and you just one foot in front of the other, one step at a time, next thing you know, you're at the top of the mountain. Welcome to the Ball Rock Pill Podcast, where we talk success, basketball, on and off the court. Um, I'm Coach Karan Godwin, North Florida Hall of Fame, also CEO and owner of BallHogGloves.com. Uh, my co-host, we have Stephen Bartle, all right? Uh, Final Four, Illinois, former NBA player, and now basketball analyst. You've seen him on ESPN, Fox Sports, also Big Ten Network, and my other co-host is the millennial, the, the leader of the new school, Myson Jones, all right? <laughs> CEO of uh, Hoops Institute. Uh, good stuff. So our, our first topic is, uh, I would say, a controversial one, um, LeVar Ball, all right? Um, no matter what you have to say or what opinion you have on him as, you know, his parenting, the, the antics, this and that, I think that there are some business and marketing lessons so um, we're going to start with, with Myson. Uh, what are some of the business and marketing lessons that you've learned from LeVar Ball? Uh, first one, is, looking at it from a completely objective view of him, is polarity. Polarity matters. So if you're on the fence right there, you don't have people who are completely for you or completely against you, then your marketing usually isn't as powerful. He's probably one of the most polar figures in media right now. And either you love him or you hate him. And I'm probably on the fence there with just being indifferent towards it, but just the power of polarity for the people who do actually like him and also authenticity. I mean, he's human. He's the one that's going to be there signing shoes, signing shirts. Uh, he can do things that big brands aren't doing that will not do. So I think those two are huge to me off the top of my head, just authenticity and also just the polarity that he has in his marketing. Steven, what's your take? Well, I like what Myson said, and um, <clears throat> you know, I think that's a that's kind of a media uh, terminology. Uh, and you know, when you have someone that is a lightning rod, so I do. I totally agree with you on that. What I've been really most impressed with is that uh, I went and did some research on the size of the Southern California market. Southern California is the eighth largest market in the country, in the world, and so. Um, you've heard me mention this before, Karan, how I didn't understand markets and the size of the sheer size of markets. And when uh, LeVar Ball started this, this journey out with his sons, he understood how big Southern California is in and of itself. And so if he was to have a brand, if he was to, to develop a brand that resonated in the Southern California region, not only would he be successful just by the sheer market size, but Southern California is kind of viewed as the place to be, one of the places to be in, in the United States in terms of fashion, in terms of culture. And if he could make a splash, similar to other people that have done this similar things in Southern California, it can have a ripple effect around the world. And so just his, you know, just his knowledge of the Southern California market and how influential it is was really an eye opener for me. 
and, and that's great stuff and two great views i think that um at, from a business perspective um i, I kind of always like to look into you know how people get their message out there um their marketing but also i like to break down the numbers uh, we all remember when he came out with, with his first shoe how much did it cost $500, dollars right? $500. So everyone goes, oh my gosh, he has this $500 shoe. Well, that's marketing in itself because people are going to talk about it. But when you really think about it, um, how much would you say the average shoe is, Myson? The average player basketball shoe? Just I'm at 200 I would say $200. $200, all right. And, and that's for a superstar. Let's say $100 for, for your average shoe. Right. Okay. How much are his T-shirts? Does anybody know? Yeah, I don't know. His, his T-shirts are $50, okay? So when, when you look at his, um, his pop-up shops and, and what he brings to the table, you have thousands and thousands of people, right, lining up to see him. Like literally over 1,000 people were in line at his first pop-up shop, and all of them have been sold out. Now, these people are, are in line to get anywhere from, from two to four T-shirts. So here you are, you're looking at the big number, as in 500, but he just sold three t-shirts for, for $150. So how, how genius is, is that in itself? You know, he just sold a sneaker, you know? So I, I think that um, he and whoever's behind him, I mean, obviously he has some smart people around him. Um, they really did their homework and, um, and he's able to do some, some great things as it pertains to business and marketing. And for the simple fact that um, it, it's it's exposure that you really can't pay for. I mean, you're talking about Super Bowl exposure whenever he even says anything. He's all over the TV. I mean, he's, you know, he can say something outlandish that doesn't really hurt anybody, but he can say, I'm better than Michael Jordan. Now, as crazy as that sound, it goes everywhere. It goes viral. So I, I think that from a business and marketing standpoint, um, he, he's undeniably, you know, a force in, in our culture and in our sport. Um, what he does off the court and the antics and all that, I don't know. But um, from a business and marketing standpoint, he's definitely a great case study. You know off the court what's going on, man. You, you know that <laughs> you wouldn't be like that as a father with your two sons and you would handle it a little bit differently. And I totally get it. Yeah. Uh, but I just want to throw this out there that I, I appreciate his approach because he doesn't love his children any less than any of us love our children. And I think that's lost a lot of times when his sh shenanigans and his antics get more exposure than uh, his actual um, you know, business acumen and, and the love for his children. It, it, well, let me ask you, since you're in the business, um, you did say the antics and he's getting a ton of exposure. So in the business, is, is there such thing as, as negative marketing or negative exposure or or does the bottom line always always prevail as far as dollars? Well, I think it, it depends on the, the circumstance and the individual. And it looks as though LeVar Ball is trying to create uh, an empire. Uh, he's going very deep. He's not going thin and wide. He's going deep. And what I mean by that is that he's looking at everything that's off the big baller brand. And, you know, from the league, over in, uh, I think they're in Lithuania. Yes. Uh, he's trying to develop a league over there. He's got Facebook uh, Live to follow. They've got a show on Facebook Live. Um, he's really going deep 
and really maximizing the platform that they've uh, shown. And so I think for him, any exposure is positive exposure. Now, with that being said, uh, obviously he's one of the first guys to really, you know, come out with his own shoe. You know, you had some other people that independently had shoes. I believe uh, Patrick Hume, you know, back in the day, he had his own shoe, and I think that's starting to make a comeback. Um, Al Harrison, a guy I played with, with, with Protege. Um, has he, or his impact, uh, has this displayed the ability for a star athlete or anyone to actually have their own shoe? Mason? My, my opinion, yes. I mean, these guys, with, with the shoe market, it's so trendy like everything else. Sometimes it's in, sometimes it's not, even if you're having a good season, if you're not having a good season. I mean, last year, KD, 2017, I think his shoe sold out in the second quarter of the first game. Um, when they when they threw it out for the game, it was. But, I mean, they have their own platforms. They have their own social media accounts. I think if they attempted to do that and have their independent shoe, I think they would still have sales. Now, as much sales that they may have with a, a Nike – I'm not sure about that, but enough to, to be happy about it as a player who has supplemental income from their own independence. Uh, with their own independence, I think they can be happy with the numbers that they would pull in. Okay. What, what do you think, Steven? I agree with Myston because, um, you know, I, I think that um, you guys will know uh, we're, we're all small business owners, and there's a certain amount of pride when you're creating a product or creating a service that you're able to sell. And like Myson said, you may not have the distribution of a, a Nike or an Adidas uh, off the top, but you, you may have a situation where um, you can develop that distribution on your own and where up front it doesn't look like it's going to be as lucrative. Once you get into it on the back end, you know, Karan, you and I have talked about this uh, distribution at certain levels. Once you get in it on the back end, it may become even more lucrative to do, you know, the solo thing and to have your own shoe and to figure those business responsibilities out along the way that makes you a much more savvy uh, individual on the business side. So I think, um, I think it's high time that many players start to look at having their own shoe because if they have a social media platform, they can go direct to consumers with their product, they can bypass a lot of channels that traditionally people uh, needed to take. And so I think like, uh, you know, someone on this podcast has said before, it's a beautiful time to be alive. Oh, there you go, there you go. Now, with that being said, and, and because this is the podcast where, where we talk business and, you know, we're talking to players, we're talking to parents, we're talking to coaches. And uh, one of the things that, that over, always overjoys me is that when a kid actually gets a, a free scholarship, which we all know is worth a hundred thousand plus these days. Um, what are some of the ways that, because we're all athletes and we all played in the NCAA and we all got scholarships, uh, what are some of the ways that you've benefited from your free education, Mason? Man, so the the immediate way that I benefit from it, that I can think off the top of my head, honestly, is the experience from my major in communication. I mean, honestly, I didn't see how it benefited me up front when I started looking at salaries of, uh, of media uh, producers in the local news, producing beats. I was looking at the wrong fields to go into after I graduated, but probably five or six months after graduation, there was a pro program 
for uh, entrepreneurs, and it was about a $6,000, $7,000 program. Didn't have it coming out of college, but they did have a scholarship that they offered for someone who could produce a video explaining why they think they deserve a $6,000, $7,000 scholarship. I had skills with a mirror that I learned from college that I got to take this entrepreneur course, completely changed my entire mind. Didn't know what an entrepreneur was until I took this course, but their copy was good enough to show me why entrepreneurship was what I always wanted uh, the entire time, but just didn't know that I wanted it. So my education, my background in Adobe Premiere helped me get this scholarship to this, this course, this program that honestly, I have a, a mastermind right now every Tuesday, it's 5.30 a.m. with guys I've never met before, but we're doing exactly what we do right here, and they've been imparting wisdom into me for the last two years just off of this program that I got, and I wouldn't have gotten the scholarship without my experience from uh, my alma mater, Anderson University. So I mean, that's just one of the many benefits I can think of with education, free education. Now, Bardo, just taking it a step further, because I believe that you and Myson have similar uh, majors. You're both communication majors. Um, it's, it's obvious um, that you know you've utilized your degree. What's your perspective on on how this free education has impacted your life? Two things that really stick out to me is that <clears throat> the networking aspect of the education that I got at Illinois was fantastic. Um, a lot of the opportunities that I've gotten in the media field have been as a result of uh, being an uh, alum of the University of Illinois. Um, Dennis Swanson has kicked in doors that many people would not have the opportunity to, you know, have someone of his stature open up certain avenues for you. So that, that was the first one. The, the second one was legitimacy. You know, um, having the scholarship playing for the University of Illinois, putting the fight in line eye jersey on, representing the second largest alumni association in the world on national television, did wonders for me going into the communications field, not only with my alumni association, but with Dan Steer, who was the coordinating producer of ESPN. He was a Michigan undergrad when I was at Illinois undergrad. He saw me play my four years. He listened to me on the radio before I got on national television. He knew about me. Other people that were in hiring situations, I got credibility because I was on the flying Illini. I was a point guard on that team. And so from a networking standpoint and a credibility standpoint, I'm not sure that I could have done any better of, to, of going anywhere else than the University of Illinois because it really uh, set the stage and was a launch pad for my media career. And, and I, I would agree with, with both of you guys in, in that my education, I mean, it just took me to a whole other level. Um, I always talk about, you know, being a student. And, you know, we're, we're in a day and age where, you know, entrepreneurship is cool. And um, a lot of people promote it. And, and what I don't like is when people try to say that, you know, it's not worth it going to school. All you got to do is, 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 you know, pull up your, your bootstraps and just get out there and become an entrepreneur. Um, any businessman knows that in order for you to excel and get to the next level, someone that went to school and have a degree is going to be around you, whether that be your accountant, or whether it be your lawyer. All right, these people are going to be around you. But the biggest lesson. I think of, of just being a student is that if you're going to be successful in anything, you have to have the skills that being a student comes with researching. 
all right, you know, being able to, to gather information, you know, so even some of the people that didn't go to school, it, you, you can hear the information that's coming out of their mouth and understand that they spent time, quality time, uh, gathering this information, gathering their thoughts so they can convey it to other people. So I think being a student overall is just, just how you become successful in life. And um, the ability to have a, a free education through basketball, man, do something that, that you actually love. Um, I started playing basketball at the age of eight, and um, it took me all around around the country, you know. And um, I'm just extremely grateful for it. But I also understand that there are kids with tremendous amount of talent, you know, guys like LeBron James, guys like Kobe Bryant, um, guys like, you know, Kevin Durant. And as we speak, you know, you no longer can go from high school straight to the pros but there's something called one and done. And I understand that this is still business and this is a marketplace. And I, I think that there's a negative connotation with people that, you know, leave school early. But um, if these, you know, NBA guys are willing to put millions of dollars in your bank account and help your family, I really can't blame them. But my question is now that Calipari has come out with lifetime scholarships and the colleges and universities are willing to give you a lifetime scholarship just based on you going there for one year because obviously they're going to benefit millions of dollars you know they you know, pack the stadium all of that they're willing to give you a lifetime scholarship uh, does this now take away that negative connotation of leaving school early um Meissen? i don't think it does i don't think it ever will uh, I, I agree with the notion and i always encourage people to to empathize with that person and really put themselves in their in their shoes. Some of these guys coming from backgrounds, especially in college, and it's not every student athlete story, but in college where they're underfunded, where they don't have meals after 8 p.m., 9 p.m., where they come from a background that wasn't the best. Uh, I was reading a story on Michael Beasley the other day and how he's so misunderstood and has been misunderstood for a long time. If you read his background, you understand um, not giving them an excuse for anybody an excuse for any actions, but I, to answer your question, I don't think it'll be ever uh, okay to others. I think if someone had the opportunity to have millions of dollars in their bank account, all of a sudden, I think they would choose that, especially if you had the chance to always go back and get that education that everyone so wants them to do. To answer your question, though, no, I don't think that it, it makes it okay in others' minds. Okay. I would agree with Myson, uh, because there's several factors uh, involved here. And so when a basketball player at any level has the ability to cut their education short and pursue their uh, professional uh, pursuits, it's a negative connotation. You know, I, I've been very fortunate to do a lot of motivational speaking, especially in the Midwest area. and when I talk to uh, a lot of people, a lot of uh, older people or baby boomer people, you know, they talk about the uh, value of the education that the player is getting. And I have to remind them that the final four years that I played on, we had t-shirt sales for one month that uh, equaled six or $7 million. Wow. They had names on the back, they had our numbers on the back, and they were called, you know, the flying liner, they had these wings on the front and it would be flight 35 on the back. And 
I paid for my college education all four years in the 10th game of my freshman year. Every other game after that for three and a half seasons was profit for the university. So I like to ask audience sometimes, let me ask you something. If you all held Bill Gates, Jeff Bezos, these other multi-million billionaire people to the same standard that you're holding to these basketball players, is, is that right? Is that morally right? Because a lot of times, guys, when these people look at players leaving early, they think it's a moral issue. And I have to remind them this is an economic issue. This has nothing to do with morality. This is all to do with economics and trying to get to a place where players want to be. So I think that negative connotation uh, will continue to be there. Um, and I'm not sure that we'll see it in our lifetime ever change just because the NCAA has done such a, a fantastic job of, you know, creating the, the narrative around this. Now, let's talk about that negative connotation because uh, is baseball, tennis, do they have the same negative connotation? Golf, as basketball players do for, for leaving early? Of or, course not. Okay. Uh, and it's almost encouraged. Okay. And, you know, I, I look at it like this. If there's a business major um, at North Florida and that business major comes up with a uh, business, uh, business plan contest, and if they can win the business plan contest and get seed money for their idea, they are gone okay. faster than the ink can dry on the paper. There you go. And yet we, we have numerous examples of this, and there's no negative connotation for it. College is supposed to prepare you better for the opportunity that you're trying to go to, whether it's a career, skill, whatever it may be. If you can go to college for one year and come out and making multi-million dollars, everybody in America would sign up for that unless it's young basketball players that are getting this opportunity. So I don't think the negative connotation will ever end. Yeah. And also, um, just going back to Calipari's lifetime scholarship, uh, if you were the mentor of a young man that was one and done, and um, obviously we all value education here, but he's going to get a lifetime scholarship and he's a top 15 pick, you know, do you advise him to go because he now has that safety net? Myson? I definitely, I definitely advise him to go. And, you know, who knows that that second year, if his stocks, if he's not going to be top 15, is he going to be top 30? Is he going to go to a round that he wasn't go to? Is he going to be undrafted? So I think he needs to make take advantage of the opportunity of a lifetime and the, and the lifetime of the opportunity, right? I think Eric Thomas always says that. Definitely tell him, advise him to go. You think about all these NBA players who are starting to be wise with their money and make their money work for them. They're starting to invest in businesses. Uh, I, I think that's wise. I mean, down in here in South Carolina, there's a facility and you have Shaq Lawson who's just, just talking about making moves. And he's a young man. He, he um, left, I believe he left early. And you see what he's able to do now because of the, the money that's coming into him, which he wouldn't have been able to do as a student at, at a school under the NCAA. So my advice is yes, definitely take advantage of that opportunity, but also be wise with your investments with that money, I'm sure, I mean, Coach, you talk about what young men do when they get that first check they've never seen before and how they're 
not wise with their investments and not fruitful with it. But at the end of the day, it's a definitely a yes to take advantage of that. I agree. I, I think that they should definitely take advantage. Um, you know, there's, there's really no downside. Um, if you have lifetime education commitment from that particular school, you know, you can go out there and really ball hard, man. And if you get the feedback that you're not ready, you can always go back to school. If you do get the feedback that you can get drafted, you can go, uh, you know, you can study in the off season. Um, and so there's, there's really no downside to it. And even the rule right now that allows uh, college players, regardless of your classification, to test the NBA waters, get enough information. And then there's a, a deadline, I believe it's May 20th or May 30th of this year, where underclassmen have to declare whether they're going to stay in the draft or go back to college. And so I, that's one of the few things that I think the NCAA and the NBA have gotten right is the ability for these people to test their skills in the marketplace and still allow them to come back. So I think it's a no-brainer. There you go. And I, I definitely agree. I think that if you have a lifetime scholarship, then it's really on you to go ahead and finish your education. Uh, we've seen, you know, other players who have done so. Uh, Vince Carter being one of them. Uh, Steph Curry, you know, promised to his mother. He went back and finished his education. So if you want that piece of paper and that degree, uh, there's definitely opportunity to do that. Uh, taking this a step further, um, now that same kid um, that we're mentoring that, that we're speaking of, he's, he's in the NBA, he's there. And, uh, you know, you hear tons of stories about the trappings of the, the NBA and, and the different reasons that these athletes may uh, mismanage their funds or what's coming at them. I remember that uh, Jay, Jay Williams once said that, you know, gambling, they used to gamble all the time in the plane. And he saw someone, you know, lose a lot of money, you know, rolling dice, you know, on, on, the, on the plane to another game. And then um, he wanted to bet it all back for, for paper, rock, scissors. So he, he, someone lost another $100,000 or so. Um, Bardo, uh, Stephen, you were in the NBA before. Um, I just want to ask you the question straight out. Like, why do these athletes go broke? Uh, I, I think that money is a very uh, peculiar thing. And a lot of emotional instability that people have will result in their ability or lack thereof to manage their money properly. Uh, if you, you know, if you don't have exposure growing up around money, if your parents, if your aunt, uncle, the people that love you, that support you, that raise you, if you don't have exposure to money and then you're coming into a backwards career, this is why I say backwards, because basketball players get the majority of their money early in their adult life, and yet they don't get the money moving forward out of retirement. And so it's a very unique situation. You're at your most fragile when you're getting your most money in your adult life. And so I think that there's a number of situations, there's a number of reasons why a lot of basketball players and a lot of professional athletes in general have a very difficult time handling their money because there's a lot of emotional instability with these athletes. I think you've seen it come out recently with Kevin Love and um, the other center that plays with the Cavaliers okay. from Arizona. But they talk about these mental health issues and these emotional issues. If you are not disciplined in yourself, if you don't have a certain stability of emotional capacity, 
your money's going to leave you. And so uh, there's a lot of that going on that is kind of unsaid, that's kind of under, under the surface that I don't think is being addressed. And quite frankly, most people that are handling basketball players don't want them financially. Uh, they don't want them to have financial acumen because then they can't take advantage of it. Okay. And I guess you're talking about control. <laughs> you yes. can't control them, so to speak. Um, are there any purchases you made and during your professional career that, that you like to take back? Like something you said, it was like, ah, I shouldn't have spent money on that. Are there any examples? Not really, because I'm kind of a, you know, my, my old man uh, back in college, I wanted to get this cherry red uh, Grand Cherokee. Uh, and it was the baddest thing on the road, man. It had gold rims. Red's my favorite color. The dealers, the dealership said, you know what? You're going to be a first or second round draft pick. Go ahead and take the truck. We'll worry about the payments later. I'm on a barnstorming tour down in southern Illinois. My dad comes to the game, and he's like, whose truck are you driving? I said, Dad, I'm, that's fine, man. And the car dealership said this, that, and the third. And in front of Anthony Bonner, all the other cats that were going pro, he was like, take that back. Take that back. He said, you don't know if you're going to sign a contract. You don't know what's going to happen. You may get hurt. Oh, I was hot under the collar because I'm like, man, I'm about to graduate. I don't feel like listening to my old man. Yeah. But I did. And lo and behold, I didn't, I didn't get the guarantee. I got a little guaranteed money, but my first year wasn't guaranteed. And so I would have been stuck with a, with a pretty good truck, a car note for that truck. And the fact that I listened to him, I, I didn't go through with that. So that was going to be my biggest mistake. And then after that, I've been married. I was married at the time, so all my money went out the window anyway with her. So I didn't, I didn't make too many bad decisions. Well, well, there you go, guys. Um, awesome show. I think, uh, as always, we, we we touched on a lot of points that that the the viewers and the listeners are, are going to be able to take away from. Uh, Myson, your social media. Where, where can we find you? At Myson Jones. M Y S O N J O N E S. Steven. At Stephen Bardo, S-T-E-P-H-E-N-B-A-R-D-O. And I'm at Coach Godwin. Um, as always, make sure you subscribe to this podcast. You can, you can subscribe on iTunes or Android. Um, also, watch us on YouTube, all right? It's the Ball Rock Pill Podcast. See you later. Peace!